Section three of Beacon Lights of History, Volume two Jewish Heroes and Prophets by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by K. Hand. Joseph, Part one Israel in Egypt. No one in his senses would dream of adding anything to the story of Joseph as narrated in Genesis, whether it came from the pen of Moses or from some subsequent writer. It is a masterpiece of historical composition, unequaled in any literature sacred or profane, in ancient or modern times, for its simplicity, its pathos, its dramatic power, and its sustained interest. Nor shall I attempt to paraphrase or retell it, save by way of annotation and illustration of subjects connected with it, having reference to the subsequent development of the Jewish nation and character. Joseph, the great-grandson of Abraham, was born at Haran in Mesopotamia, probably during the 18th century B.C., when his father Jacob was in the service of Laban the Syrian. There was nothing remarkable in his career until he was sold as a slave by his unnatural and jealous brothers. He was the favorite son of the patriarch Jacob by his beloved Rachel, being the youngest, except Benjamin, of a large family of twelve sons, a beautiful and promising youth, with qualities which peculiarly called out the paternal affections. In the inordinate love and partiality of Jacob for this youth he gave to him, by way of distinction, a decorated tunic such as was worn by one of the sons of princes. The half-brothers of Joseph were filled with envy in view of this unwise step on the part of their common father a proceeding difficult to be reconciled with his politic and crafty nature and their envy ripened into hostility when joseph with the frankness of youth narrated his dreams which signified his future pre-eminence and the humiliation of his brothers nor were his dreams altogether pleasing to his father who rebuked him with this indignant outburst of feeling shall i and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee on the earth but while the father pondered, the brothers were consumed with hatred, for envy is one of the most powerful passions that move the human soul, and is malignant in its developments. Strange to say, it is most common in large families and among those who pass for friends. We do not envy prosperous enemies with the virulence we fear for prosperous relatives, who theoretically are our equals. Nor does envy cease until inequality has become so great as to make rivalry preposterous. A subject does not envy his king, or his generally acknowledged superior. Envy may even give place to respect and deference when the object of it has achieved fame and conceded power. Relatives who begin with jealousy sometimes end as worshippers, but not until extraordinary merit, vast wealth, or overtopping influence are universally conceded. Conceive of Napoleon's brothers envying the great emperor, or Webster's the great statesman, or grants the great general, although the passion may have lurked in the bosoms of political rivals and military chieftains. But one thing certainly extinguishes envy, and that is death. Hence the envy of Joseph's brothers, after they had sold him to a caravan of Ishmaelite merchants, was succeeded by remorse and shame. Their murmurings passed into lies. They could not tell their broken-hearted father of their crime. They never told him jacob was led to suppose that his favorite son was devoured by wild beasts they added deceit and cowardice to a depraved heartlessness and nearly brought down the gray hairs of their father to the grave no subsequent humiliation or punishment could be too severe for such wickedness 
although they were destined to become the heads of powerful tribes even of the chosen people of god these men have incurred the condemnation of all ages but judah and reuben do not come in for unlimited censure since these sons of leah sought to save their brother from a violent death and subsequently in egypt judah looms up as a magnanimous character whom we admire almost as much as we do joseph himself what can be more eloquent than his defense of benjamin and his appeal to what seemed to him to be an egyptian potentate the sale of joseph as a slave is one of the most signal instances of the providence of god working by natural laws recorded in all history more marked even than the elevation of esther and mordecai in it we see permission of evil and its counteraction its conversion into good victory over evil over conspiracy treachery and murderous intent and so marked is this lesson of a superintending providence over all human action that a wise and good man can see wars and revolutions and revolting crimes with almost philosophical complacency knowing that out of destruction proceeds creation that the wrath of man is always overruled that the love of god is the brightest and clearest and most consoling thing in the universe we cannot interpret history without the recognition of this fundamental truth we cannot be unmoved amid the prevalence of evil without this feeling that god is more powerful than all the combined forces of his enemies both on earth and in hell and that no matter what the evil is it will surely be made to praise him who sitteth in the heavens this is a sublime revelation of the omnipotence and benevolence of a personal god of his constant oversight of the world which he has made the protection and elevation of joseph seemingly a natural event in view of his genius and character is in some respects a type of that great sacrifice by which a sinful world has been redeemed little did the jews suspect when they crucified jesus that he would arise from his tomb and overturn the idolatry of nations and found a religion which should go on from the conquering to the conqueror little did the gifted burke see in the atrocities of the french revolution the overturning of a system of injustices for which centuries had cried to heaven for vengeance still less did the proud and conservative citizens of new england recognize in the cruelties of southern slaveholders a crime which would provoke one of the bloodiest wars of modern times and lead to the constitutional and political equality of the whites and blacks evil appeared to triumph but ended in the humiliation of millions and the enfranchisement of humanity when the cause of the right seemed utterly hopeless so let every one write upon all walls and houses and chambers upon his conscience and his intellect the lord god omnipotent reigneth and will bring good out of the severest tribulation and this great truth applies not to nations alone but to the humblest individual as he bows down in grief or wrath or penitence to unlooked-for chastisement like job upon his heap of ashes or the broken-hearted mother when afflicted with disease or poverty or the misconduct or death of children there is no wisdom no sound philosophy no religion and no happiness until this truth is recognized in all the changes and relations of life the history of joseph in egypt in all his varied fortunes is as i have said a most memorable illustration of this cardinal and fundamental truth a favorite of fortune he is sold as a slave for less than twenty dollars of our money and is brought to a foreign country a land oppressed by kings and priests yet in which is a high civilization in spite of social and political degradation he is resold to a high official of the egyptian court probably on account of his beauty and intelligence he rises in the service of this official captain of the royal guard or as the critics tell us superintendent of the police and prisons for he has extraordinary abilities and great integrity character as well as natural genius 
until he is unjustly accused of a meditated crime by a wicked woman it is evident that potiphar his master only half believes in joseph's guilt in spite of the protestations of his artful and profligate wife since instead of summarily executing him as Aceris did haman he simply sends him to a mild and temporary imprisonment in the prison adjacent to his palace here joseph wins the favor of his jailers and of his brother prisoners as paul did nearly two thousand years later and shows remarkable gifts even to the interpretation of dreams a wonderful faculty to superstitious people like the egyptians and in which he exceeds even their magicians and priests the fame of his rare gifts the most prized in egypt reaches at last the ears of pharaoh who is troubled by a singular dream which no one of his learned men can interpret the hebrew slave interprets it and is magnificently rewarded becoming the prime minister of an absolute monarch the king gives him his signet ring emblem of power and a collar or chain of gold the emblem of the highest rank clothes him in a vestment of fine linen makes him ride in his second chariot and appoints him ruler over the land second only to the king in power and rank and further he gives to him in marriage the daughter of the high priest of on by which he becomes connected with the priesthood joseph deserves all the honor and influence he receives for he saves the kingdom from a great calamity he predicts seven years of plenty and seven years of famine and points out the remedy according to tradition the monarch whom he served was a pepi the last shepherd king during whose reign slaves were very numerous the king himself had a vast number as well as the nobles foreign slaves were preferred to native ones and wars were carried on for the chief purpose of capturing and selling captives the sacred narrative says but little of the government of egypt by a hebrew slave or of his abilities as a ruler virtually supreme in the land since pharaoh delegates to him his own authority persuaded both of his fidelity and his abilities it is difficult to understand how joseph arose at a single bound to such dignity and power under a proud and despotic king and in the face of all the prejudices of the egyptian priesthood and nobility except through the custom of all oriental despots to gratify the whim of the moment like the one who made his horse prime minister but nothing short of transcendent talents and transcendent services can account for his retention of office and his marked success joseph was then thirty years of age having served potiphar ten years and spent two or three years in prison this all took place as some now suppose shortly after seventeen hundred b c under the dynasty of the hyksos or shepherd kings who had conquered the kingdom about three hundred years before their capital was memphis near the pyramids which had been erected several centuries earlier by the older and native dynasties rawlinson supposes that tanis on the delta was the seat of their court conquered by the hyksos the old kings retreated to their other capital thebes and were probably made tributary to the conquerors it was by the earlier and later dynasties that the magnificent temples and palaces were built whose ruins have so long been the wonder of travelers the shepherd kings were warlike and led their armies from scythia that land of roving and emigrant warriors or as ewald thinks from the land of canaan aramean chieftains who sought the spoil of the richest monarchy of the world hence there was more affinity between these people and the hebrews than between them and the ancient egyptians who were the descendants of ham abraham when he visited egypt found it ruled by the scythian or aramean warriors which accounts for the kind and generous treatment he received it is not probable that a monarch of the ancient dynasties would have been so courteous to abraham or would have elevated joseph to such an exalted rank for they were jealous of strangers and hated a pastoral people it was only under the rule of the hyksos 
that the hebrews could have been tolerated and encouraged for as soon as the shepherd kings were expelled by the pharaohs who reigned at thebes as the moors were expelled from spain by those old castilian princes it fared ill with the descendants of jacob and they were bitterly and cruelly oppressed until the exodus under moses prosperity probably led the hyksos conquerors to that fatal degeneracy which is unfavorable to war while adversity strengthened the souls of the descendants of the ancient kings and enabled them to subdue and drive away their invaders and conquerors the pharaoh who reigned at the time of joseph belonged like his predecessors to the sacerdotal caste and worshipped the gods of the egyptians but he was not jealous of the hebrews and fully appreciated the genius of joseph the wisdom of joseph as ruler of the land destined to a seven years famine was marked by foresight as well as promptness in action he personally visited the various provinces advising the people to husband their harvests but as all people are thoughtless and improvident he himself gathered up and stored all the grain which could be spared and in such vast quantities that he ceased to measure it at last the predicted famines came as the nile had not risen to its usual height but the royal granaries were full since all the surplus wheat about a fifth of the annual produce had been stored away not purchased by joseph but exacted as a tax nor was this exaction unreasonable in the view of the emergency under the bourbon kings of france more than one-half of the produce of the land was taken by the government and the federal proprietors without compensation and that not in provision for coming national trouble but for the fattening of the royal purse joseph exacted only a fifth as a sort of special tax less than the present italian government exacts from all landowners very soon the famine pressed upon the egyptian people for they had no corn in reserve the reserve was in the hands of the government but this reserve joseph did not deal out gratuitously as the roman government under the emperors dealt out food to the citizens he made the people pay for their bread and took their money and deposited it in the royal treasury when after two years their money was all spent it was necessary to resort to barter and cattle were given in exchange for corn by which means the king became possessed of all the personal property of his subjects as famine pressed the people next surrendered their land to avoid starvation all but the priests pharaoh thus became absolute proprietor of the whole country of money cattle and land an unprecedented surrender which would have produced a widespread disaffection and revolt had it not been that joseph after the famine was passed and the earth yielded its accustomed harvest exacted only one-fifth of the produce of the land for the support of the government which could not be regarded as oppressive as the king thus became absolute proprietor of egypt by consent of the people whom he had saved from starvation through the wisdom and energy of his prime minister it is probable that later a new division of land took place it being distributed among the people generally in small farms for which they paid as rent a fifth of their produce the gratitude of the people was marked thou hast saved our lives let us find grace in the eyes of my lord and we will be pharaoh's slaves since the time of christ there have been two similar famines recorded one in the eleventh century lasting like joseph's seven years and the other in the twelfth century of which the most distressing details are given even to the extreme desperation of cannibalism the same cause originated both the failure of the nile overflow out of the sacred river came up for egypt its fat kine and its lean its blessings and its curses the price exacted by joseph for the people's salvation made the king more absolute than before since all were thus made dependent on the government this absolute rule of the kings however was somewhat modified by ancient customs and by the vast influence of the priesthood 
to which the king himself belonged the priests of egypt under all the dynasties formed the most powerful caste ever seen among the nations of the earth if we accept the brahminical caste of india at the head of it was the king himself who was chief of the religion and of the state he regulated the sacrifices of the temples and had the peculiar right of offering them to the gods upon grand occasions he superintended the feasts and festivals in honor of the deities the priests enjoyed privileges which extended to their whole family they were exempt from taxes and possessed one-third of the landed property which was entailed upon them and of which they could not be deprived among them there were great distinctions of rank but the high priests held the most honorable station they were devoted to the service of the presiding deities of the cities in which they lived such as the worship of ammon at thebes of phitha at memphis and of ra at on or heliopolis one of the principal grades of the priesthood was that of prophets who were particularly versed in all matters pertaining to religion they presided over the temple and the sacred rites and directed the management of the priestly revenues they bore a distinguished part in solemn processions carrying the holy vase the priests not only regulated all spiritual matters and superintended the worship of the gods but they were esteemed for their superior knowledge they acquired an ascendancy over the people by their supposed understanding of the sacred mysteries only those priests being initiated in the higher secrets of religion who had proved themselves virtuous and discerning the honor of ascending from the less to the greater mysteries was as highly esteemed as it was difficult to obtain the aspirant was required to go through the most severe ordeal and show the greatest moral resignation those who aspired to know the profoundest secrets imposed upon themselves duties more severe than those required by any other class it was seldom that the priests were objects of scandal they were reserved and discreet practicing the strictest purification of body and mind their life was so full of minute details that they rarely appeared in public they thus obtained a sincere respect of the people and ruled by the power of learning and sanctity as well as by privilege they are most censured for concealing and withholding knowledge from the people how deep and profound was the knowledge of the egyptian priests it is difficult to settle since it was so carefully guarded pythagoras made great efforts and sacrifices to be initiated into their higher mysteries but these it is thought were withheld since he was a foreigner what he did learn however formed a foundation of what is most valuable in grecian philosophy herodotus declares that he knew the mysteries but should not divulge them moses was skilled in all the knowledge of the sacred schools of egypt and perhaps incorporated in his jurisprudence some of its most valued truths possibly plato obtained from the egyptian priests his idea of the immortality of the soul since this was one of their doctrines it is even thought by wilkinson that they believed in the unity the eternal existence and invisible power of god but there is no definite knowledge on that point ammon the concealed god seems to have corresponded with the zeus of the greeks as sovereign lord of heaven the priests certainly taught a state of future rewards and punishments for the great doctrine of metempsychosis is based upon it the transmission of the soul after death into the bodies of various animals as an expiation from sin but however lofty were the esoteric doctrines which the more learned of the initiated believed they were carefully concealed from the people who were deemed too ignorant to understand them and hence the immense difference between the priests and the people and the universal prevalence of the degrading superstitious and the vile polytheism which everywhere existed even the worship of the powers of nature in those animals which were held sacred among all the ancient nations however complicated were their theogenies and however degraded the forms of worship assumed of men or animals or plants it was heat or light 
the sun as the visible promoter of blessings which was regarded as the animus mundi to be worshipped as the highest manifestation of divine power and goodness the sun among all the ancient polytheists was worshipped under various names and was one of the supremest deities the priestly city of on a sort of university town was consecrated to the worship of ra the sun baal was the sun god among the polytheistic canaanites as bel was among the assyrians the egyptian pantheon except perhaps that of rome was the most extensive among the ancient nations and the most degraded although that people were the most religious as well as superstitious of ancient pagans the worship of the deity in some form was as devout as it was universal however degrading were the rites and no expense was spared in sacrifices to propitiate the favor of the peculiar deity who presided over each of the various cities for almost every city had a different deity notwithstanding the degrading fetishism the lowest kind of nature worship including the worship of animals which formed the basis of the egyptian religion there were traces in it of pure monotheism as in that of babylonia and of ancient india the distinguishing peculiarity of the egyptian religion was the adoration of sacred animals as emblems of the god the chief of which were the bull the cat and the beetle the gods of the egyptian pantheon were almost innumerable since they represented every form and power of nature and all the passions which move the human soul but the most remarkable of the popular deities was osiris who was regarded as a personification of good isis the consort of osiris who with him presided at the judgment of the dead was scarcely less venerated set or typhon the brother of osiris was the personification of evil between osiris and set therefore was perpetual antagonism this belief divested of names and titles and technicalities and fables seems to have resembled in this respect the religion of the persians the eternal conflict between good and evil the esoteric doctrines of the priests initiated into the higher mysteries probably were the primeval truths too abstract for the ignorant and sensual people to comprehend and which were represented to them in visible forms that appealed to their senses and which they worshipped with degrading rites the oldest of all the rites of the ancient pagans was in the form of sacrifice to propitiate the deity abraham and jacob offered sacrifices but without degrading ceremonies and both abhorred the representation of the deity in the form of animals but there was scarcely an animal or reptile in egypt that the people did not hold sacred in fear or reverence moral evil was represented by the serpent showing that something was retained though in a distorted form of the primitive revelation the most celebrated forms of animal worship were the bulls at memphis sacred to osiris or as some think to the sun the cat to fatha and the beetle to ray the origin of these superstitions cannot be traced they are shrouded in impenetrable mystery all we know is that they existed from the remotest period of which we have cognizance long before the pyramids were built in spite however of the despotism of the kings the privileges of the priests and the degrading superstitions of the people which introduced the most revolting form of religious worship ever seen on earth there was in egypt a high civilization in comparison with that of other nations dating back to a mythical period more than two thousand years before the christian era and six hundred before letters were introduced into greece one thousand years before the trojan war twelve hundred years before buddha and fifteen hundred years before rome was founded great architectural works existed in egypt the remains of which still astonish travelers for their vastness and grandeur in the time of joseph before the eighteenth dynasty there was in egypt an estimated population of seven millions with twenty thousand cities 
the civilization of that country four thousand years ago was as high as that of the chinese of the present day and their literary and scientific accomplishments their proficiency in the industrial and fine arts remain to-day the wonder of history but one thing is very remarkable that while there seems to have been no great progress for two thousand years there was not any marked decline thus indicating virtuous habits of life among the great body of the people from generation to generation they were preserved from degeneracy by their simple habits and peaceful pursuits though the armies of the king numbered four hundred thousand men there were comparatively few wars and these mostly of a defensive character such was the egypt which joseph governed with signal ability for more than half a century nearly four thousand years ago the mother of inventions the pioneer in literature and science the home of learned men the teacher of nations communicating a knowledge which was never lost making the first great stride in the civilization of the world no one knows whether this civilization was indigenous or derived from unknown races or the remains of a primitive revelation since it cannot be traced beyond egypt itself whose early inhabitants were more asiatic than african and apparently allied with the phoenicians and assyrians but the civilization of egypt is too extensive a subject to be entered upon in this connection i hope to treat it more at length in subsequent volumes i can only say now that in some things the egyptians were never surpassed their architecture as seen in the pyramids and the ruins of temples was marvellous while their industrial arts would not be disdained even in the nineteenth century End of section three.